You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks over at Stringjoy. What's Stringjoy? Well, they make custom guitar strings. They make guitar strings one at a time, by hand, inspected, packaged, wound, all that good stuff by real people. And they also offer the craziest selection of gauges that I've ever seen. And what's really cool is you can get the exact set that you need for your guitar, your playing style, and scale length. It's crazy. The options are just insane. And what's even better is if you don't really know where to start, say you've just been playing a, you know, as I did, a classic purple pack of powerful strings for pretty much my entire playing life. And Scott set me up with something that is much more dialed into what I need. So instead of a standard set of 11 to 48s like I was accustomed to, I am now playing a 10 and a half, 14, 18 wound string, which that has just changed everything. I love that 18 wound string. And uh, to a 30, 40, and then a 52. It's more balanced for how I play guitar, and he can do the same thing for you. If you got specific needs, specific tunings you like to play in, he can optimize a set for you that will feel and sound amazing. I mean, it's not very rock and roll to keep playing the same strings that the man tells you you need. Why don't you play your own strings, you know? Be a little punk rock with it. Get the strings that you need for your guitar at stringjoy.com. The link is in the show notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have a very special guest who I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, Adam Grimm of Satellite Amps. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's pretty good. How are you? Really good. This is a, this is a treat, because <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this or not, but you're actually responsible for one of my, my greatest... Uh, Nam memories, uh, <laughs> which was when you snagged me kind of mid stroll, uh, and you were like, you haven't came by my booth yet. And I was like, you're right. So we'll, we'll fix that. So I went over there and I was, uh, playing this beautiful coal guitar with uh TK Smith pickups in it. And you were like, this isn't loud enough. And then you cranked the atom up full volume. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. And it made me smile, and I still remember it to this day, and I'm like, that's the next amp that I buy. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. That's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's always a lot of fun to be able to do that at NAMM, especially for, for, for people that haven't been there. It, it, four days of listening to people and trying to maintain a level. We have, we have to maintain a 100-decibel ceiling. We're not supposed to play loud at all. Mm-hmm. And they, they threaten you with you know, tickets and fines, and they will kick you out. Uh, and we did get written up for it at one point, uh, and I actually have the warning hanging here on my wall right next to me because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's nothing really quite like opening up an amp properly in a situation like that and just, yeah. And yeah, I, we, we have a lot of fun with it, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And like, I had a couple buddies with me, but they weren't there right at the moment. They were a couple aisles away, and they heard it, and they were like, Blake's over at the satellite booth right now. 
<laughs> and they came over. Then they came over. Uh, they recognized my sloppy playing, but, uh, you know, they were like, it's so loud. <laughs> it was the loudest thing that we'd heard all weekend. So it was great. Um, they're, they're, yes. they're of, uh, the guys around the shop, I'm pretty much the worst guitar player in the shop. And everybody mm-hmm. knows when I'm playing across the, the anywhere. Like, yeah, that's Adam playing the same. Uh-huh. That's him. <laughs> we, we can just, find him. Just playing the thing. Yeah. Your yes. shop, your pictures, you have so many amps. I don't even know where to start. Like I should I should probably start somewhere else, but it's a it's it's a, a place I desperately need to visit one of these days. Well you you're welcome to come anytime you want. We have uh about forty five hundred square feet here at the shop. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's separate off into a couple of different sections. Uh, there are there were two rooms downstairs, and we've consolidated them and made one big room. That's most of uh, the vintage amps and stuff that people see. There are some scattered throughout the building, but that's where the big part of the collection is. Uh, and we have them there for a couple of reasons. One is because it's uh, I, I just love history. I love getting into the old stuff, uh, especially musical gear. Uh, and having pieces of it, and there's nothing really that can compare to having the real thing in your hand or ears or whatever to listen to. Uh, so we use them as a uh, benchmarks, uh, references, stuff like that, pretty often. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guitars down there. It also gives people an opportunity that aren't familiar with our stuff to be able to come over to the shop and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, an Adam has four Yale 84 amps. You know, how's it compared to an AC30? And I can go, okay, well. Right here's a 1965 AC30 Twin 12. Plug it in and plug the Atom in, and here's a AB both box that you can switch and hear them both. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, or you know, you know, my bandmate plays a, plays a Super One Super Lead, you know, Marshall full stack. You know, is this going to be loud enough? All right, well, here's a Super Lead. What do you want me to play while you're playing? You know, we got a drum set set up. There's a Hammond organ. Uh, there's uh, there's a couple bass rigs down there. There's uh, at last count there were I think 65 ish vintage amps down in the in the shop and there's probably at least 12 satellites in the in the main big room and there's uh i got a couple uh of the the kr racks from doug cower which are the double stacked guitar racks Mm -hmm. so i've got two of those filled two double stack racks filled with guitars down there for people just to pull off and then pretty much throughout the entire shop almost all the available wall space is guitar hangers uh you know, uh, my main workspace is upstairs, which is where I'm at right now. And there's uh, five, eight. There's about 27 guitars in this room right now. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's a, so, that's, yeah. a, that's the uh, epitome of like life goals for some of us. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> it it, it is a pretty good life goal. And, uh, you know, on that same thing, like, I don't know if I'll ever stop. Right. There's, there, there, there's never a point where I'm going to go, yeah, I've got enough guitars. I don't really need any more. No, I don't think that exists, yeah. does it? Yeah. I, I hope not. I mean, I got, uh, I got a, a, a Saul Cole uh, Flying V three days ago. I've got, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I have a surprise guitar from uh, Doug Cower coming supposedly tomorrow. Oh wow! Uh, and I got an update on uh, a Champ Tone archtop that's being built for me. That I I don't know exactly what the time frame of getting it is, but you know, I know that that's coming. And uh, uh, Elwood Francis is making me a guitar right now. He's a uh, Elwood Fran. Elwood is one of the greatest techs in the world. He's one of the top 
you know, in my opinion, top three or four techs. And he works for this guy named Billy Gibbons. He's been working for him for. Oh, I've, I've heard of that years. guy, I think. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's this blues guy out of Texas, I think. Yeah. Yeah, something. Good. Yeah, I don't know. He's whatever. Yeah. Beard or something. I so, don't know. Yeah, yeah. Drummer's <laughs> name is Beard. That's what it is. That's right. <laughs> the only one without a beard. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wow. That, so what were you getting built from him? I'm sorry. I, I don't know. That. I, got I, I, have no, oh, okay. I, I have no idea. Part, part of like one of the things I really like to do uh, with having guitars built by people that I really like is having them like, I don't like calling people up and saying, oh, you make guitars. Can you make me a Telecaster like this with this pickup and this color and this, that and the other? There's enough people out there that I really like, and, and you know the Saul Cole Flying V is a great example. Uh, about two years ago at NAMM, Saul and I were talking, uh, and Saul had spent some time in San Diego uh, in college, mm-hmm. and so he has some roots here. We had some mutual friends that we realized, and uh, and he approached me and said, "Listen, I love your stuff. I want to really want to get one of your amps." I said, "Okay, well, that's funny because I really love your stuff, and I really want, really want one of your guitars." And he told me what he wanted for the for the amplifier, and I said, "Okay." what kind of guitar you want i said i don't i love everything you do just make me a guitar you would make for yourself and that's what would make me happy make you make the best thing you would make for you and he said okay and so i had no idea for the last two years of what that guitar was going to be until the box showed up and i opened it up that's phenomenal (laughs) uh i find that because when you find somebody that you love what they do like that and if you have the opportunity to be able to do it you get a much better product because you're not dictating I, I, there's no way that I'll ever be a guitar maker to the point of being able to dictate to somebody like Saul Cole or Sam Evans or Dick Howard or any of these people that are out there and being like, oh, do this. No, these guys know what they're doing. They really do. You know, and, and that's why I like their stuff. So, you know, and Saul also went, gave us free reign to do whatever we want. So he got the, one of the first day of the dead amplifiers we ever did and covered all in the sugar skulls and all that kind of stuff. So to give mm-hmm. a little bit of a connection to his San Diego roots. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's a, that's an interesting approach. I've, I've got a guitar coming that I kind of took a similar approach to. It's not really for me like to keep, it's just like to check out. But the guy was, <laughs> the, the guy right. was, uh, it's, a uh, uh, Derek over at Lincoln guitars. And oh, yeah. he was like, I just really want you to try one of my guitars. And I'm like, okay, no, right. please don't. I don't want to try a guitar. Uh, and he was like, well, what do you want? And I'm just like, make something cool. Your guitars look really awesome. I'm not like, do whatever you want to build at the time. That's going to be right. the best thing. Yeah. So I'm excited to see whatever that might be uh, I, and get my hands on it for a little while anyway. I, I've so. never been disappointed doing this. I've never had a guitar right. show up and have and been like, eh, this isn't that good. I don't really like this one. Right. It, it's you. You might not get something that you think you're getting, but it's always mm-hmm. been been wonderful surprises, and you end up with these wonderful pieces to an arsenal that just, you know. And we we are occasionally given the same kind of free reign when people are like, well, I love what you do. Can you build me something? I go, yep, I can build you something, and I can hand them something that really signifies what we do and what satellite is all about. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, for, for somebody, especially, you know, when you get a blind call from somebody, we've had, you know, uh, we had a, this is, I don't know how many months ago, it might have been up to a year ago, it was after, it was sometime between NAM and now, I don't know, uh, we got mm-hmm. a phone call that uh, somebody had been recommended to us that, that a band wanted some amps to use in a studio for their new record. 
It was like, okay. And there was a giant band. It was, and I was like, okay, what do you guys want? He's like, I don't know. I've, I've never even been to your website, but this guy over at Diodario, who's a friend of ours, uh, suggested calling you guys because you make great stuff. So could you just send us two amps? I said, sure. And that was it. <laughs> that was the end of the, then he gave me the address and we, the, you know, and he needed them, you know, next day. So we overnight him to the studio and, you know, I know that we are on the record. I don't know how much or anything like that, but I know that we have some kind of, we're on there. That's what, what we've been told. I don't, you know, I've, I've only heard one song off the record, so. And it's lovely, but I don't know if we're on it or not. Mm-hmm. But, you, but you know, you get who is things. it? Can you say who it is? Uh, it was Metallica. Oh, <laughs> oh, I've another like yeah, kind of small time. I don't know who they are. Yeah, who are they? Uh, I and, heard that uh, song too, and it's actually I'm like Metallica's back at it. Sweet, yeah, back <laughs> you know? at it. And uh, yeah, this is like the first like in four albums or so. It was like wow, this is actually might be really good. I haven't mm-hmm. heard the rest of the record. I don't know if there's only one good song. I don't know if there's like a horrible song and that's the only thing that we're on for five seconds. I don't know anything <laughs> at all about what it is that we did or did not do. Uh, you know, all I know is was told that we are, you know, I, they were, they used, uh, I think they used both, they used a Barracuda and an Adam uh, for some solo stuff. And, you know, but that's all I really know. But right. Yeah. That, that's kind of, it's unfortunately, still a, the way a nice that a feather of, in the cap. It is, you know, it would be a great feather in the camp if I could f- eventually come up with a picture or something of one of them other than just this, like, text and an email exchange of, where's the address? <laughs> Here it goes. Okay, great. Okay. You know, three weeks later, okay, we're all done. Thanks. You know, that, like, you know, the Metallica did not buy a full, complete new backline of satellites to play, so, you know. Not yet, anyway. Not not yet. There's still time. <laughs> it's, uh, and. You know, it's it's not going to change who we are or what we do either way. So, you know, uh, we do have a lot of people that have had chances to touch on our products. And, you know, uh, there are some people, though, that have such iconic sounds. It's really hard to fit in what we do into somebody else's pre-established uh, sound. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we got uh, uh, Billy Duffy from The Cult uh, had... Uh, a mutual friend had been turned on to our amplifiers and uh you know asked if they could they could try some for some pre-production stuff they were doing with some with bob rock and said sure no problem and we got to go up there and and was there for a little bit of the the, the practice beforehand and and he checked them out and they, they used them for all the pre-production you know and i knew even going up there like i know what billy duffy's tone is it's it's not that what we do is wouldn't fit in with it it's what we would do is be such a minor part of it. You know, he's really got right. Most of most of Billy Duffy's tone is a, is a rolling jazz chorus. There's no like, that's it. Like that's if you want to get cult tone, you know. And then with a good tube amp behind it, he has so many good tube amps. It's hard to be like, oh hi, let's change everything you guys do, all of your road cases and everything. You know, so we didn't. But he ended up. He really enjoyed them, and you know. Uh, you know, that was a lovely time. I got to meet everybody and got to sit in and I got a little pin that says, I saw the cult play. Some, <laughs> something like that. He gave me a pin. And I don't, it's something, something that effect. he had like a whole bag of like pins that he gives people when they get to see band practice or whatever. It just says, I saw the cult. Where is it? I just saw <laughs> the funny. cult. That's what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's funny. Well, yeah, speaking of bands using your stuff, though, that's how I, I, I'm pretty sure I've already told you this and I've talked about it in my Facebook group and a few other spots, but, um, 
that's how I first got turned on to your amps was trying to discover um, some of my favorite guitar tones, um, which as far as straight ahead rock and roll guitar sound to me, like social distortions, latest work, like just the guitar tone alone, like on the last two records is just, that's rock and roll guitar to me. And so watching their rig rundowns and then Johnny's playing your amps, I'm like, Hmm, I, my, I'm already partially there. I already have a junior. Uh, maybe this is the secret sauce that I need. (laughs) So, um, it definitely, yeah, it, that, def- I mean, it definitely is a part of it. It's the, uh, you know, the, you know, Johnny is a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, he's absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he does a great job in that band. He has got chops galore, uh, but he's got the third and fifth Adam we ever made. Right. You know, and we can follow a lot of these paths. The, the pathways through all the different musicians is really actually very short. You know, because you find these things and, you know, I can actually get from Metallica to to Johnny in two steps as to how that happened. You know, okay. It was somebody that works worked with Johnny who was somebody who worked with this guy named Scott, I think it's Uchida at uh, Diodario, uh, or, yeah, at Diodario, and then uh, mm-hmm. he, he was the guy that went to the manager of Metallica. That's, that's a I mean, that's I mean, a pretty it, short hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah, yeah. it's that that short of a of, of a thing. And you know, we just watched the the Metallica Hardwired how to how they made the video or something. And the uh, the producer that they used is he looked really familiar. And it, it's because uh, they used a different producer this time. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was an old guitar player player in a band called Rhino Bucket. So the guy, the singer George from Rhino Bucket, and the current. Uh, guitar player who is a guy named uh, Brian Forsyth both have, you know, Adams made in the first, you know, 30 or 40 that we ever made. So we now have this other like direct link, like, Oh, Brian took his place in that band. Huh? (laughs) Interesting. This is a really small world we live in. You know, and you find, you find out these weird things and and like, okay, you know, it's, um, and we, we had a, uh, well, yeah, it, it it just happens quite often that there's these stories of, of you know that somebody will reach out and be like, "Oh my god, who is this person? Where do they find out about me?" And they're like, "Oh, oh, it all comes back to this person." Like it's that that whole like seven degrees of separation or whatever. It's really usually like two or three, right? And a lot well, of yeah, it, it's a lot of it comes back to you know uh, there, there was a couple people in the very beginning players that are still playing our stuff that were uh, very instrumental in doing all of this and get, helping us become what we are. Two Bags was, was definitely on the forefront. Uh, there was a guy named Ron Heathman who was in a band called The Super Suckers. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I was going to... Ron got the first one of the first 18 watts we ever built, wanted a louder amplifier, which is how the Atom got developed. I was literally driving from my shop to go take it to Ron to, as it, when he was playing a show in town, and a friend of mine named... Oh, uh, uh, or Otis, Otis B, Otisserie. He's got a bunch of different names. He's a wonderful photographer and a great friend and a musician. He was over to a place called Soma and he said, Oh, uh, social distortion's playing right now. Uh, they're doing sound check. Bring the amp over. I said, Okay. So we literally <laughs> drove up, came into the back of Soma and said, Hi, this is who I am. Love your stuff. Been listening to you guys since I was, you know, 14 years old. And mm-hmm. he went, Oh, can I try this? I said, Sure. And he played it for about five minutes and security guards came over and said, you know, you guys can't be playing right now. Somebody else is sound checking. 
basically got it shut down by security and I said, okay. And, and Johnny said, um, can I have this one? I said, no, everybody <laughs> got to pay for them. And this one's going to Ron. Like, well, can I get two of them? I said, sure. And that was it. And so he got two of them. And to this day, he's still like number three. I think I've changed the tubes in it once. Like no one's mm-hmm. allowed to touch it. We can't like, nobody's like when I opened it, he was there. There was a group of people like, so that nothing got changed on the amplifier because that's, that's it. That's the one. And then number five, we used to hand cut all of our chassis and, and they weren't the strongest things for the Atom because it's a little bit of a heavier transformer. So right. we got better ch- chassis made and uh, better, prettier boxes because we learned a lot more about what we were doing to make things look nicer. Uh, and I convinced two bags to, that we could you know, change number five out and at least make it look prettier. And so we did that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming he turned it on, but he never really used number five for touring until this last tour. And I remember getting this text message from him that was, uh, it was like, oh, I finally turned on that other amp. It actually sounds really good. Like, we've had it for like <laughs> nine, nine years. Oh, that's, I'm glad you didn't ever have to turn it on. You know, to be honest, that's wonderful. You know? Right. You know, and it's it's a redundant backup system that he has for his rig up there. I think Mike does too. I think everybody actually does. Is they have two amps, they're only really playing through one. Mm-hmm. Uh, of which, you know, two bags has since he has a solo project. So he's got uh, right now he's using a neutron combo and a mud shark combo for that. And then he's got two atoms that he uses for social distortion. And then he's also got an atom in two twelve for Cadillac tramps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike. Uh, I haven't actually given it to him yet. I still hear just recently finally uh, is getting his first satellite when they did the California. Finally. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of because when they did the last <laughs> record, you know, two bags had his in the studio. So Mike used one of them. So he, he and he's mm-hmm. used, he's used them on, on a couple of different things. Uh, different. I don't, I don't know where everything is, but Mike has told me that he has used them on a couple of different records that he did with people. And, you know, Finally, he's got to have one of his own. I said, okay. So he doesn't have to borrow Johnny's anymore. You know, nice. hard, hard, hard to nice. argue with. So he's going to go, he's, he's, he's normally played like that modded basement for like, I don't even know how long he's played <sighs> that thing forever, right? Okay. So the legacy of, of, of the Mike Ness amplifiers, he has had a variety of modded basement, you know, and mm-hmm. this has been, I don't know, for at least probably 15, maybe 20 years. Uh, and they're all been slightly different and I don't know if anybody knows what's been done to all of them. You know, I know the last batch, uh, they were usually done by Billy zoom and this last batch, I think Fred did over at uh, divided by 13. That uh, sounds familiar. Okay. And, and a lot of it, is, there, there are some basic mods that, that a lot of us know about, you know, taking blackface or silverface baseman into, you know, what's brown face territory, which is, uh, basically like a tweed. Uh, mm-hmm. the legacy of the basement is that the, the, the tweed basement circuit and the blonde basement circuit, the 66 are pretty identical. There's not that much differences between them. So that, so all the way up to the 66 B, which is 1965, uh, very early of 1965, uh, are all kind of related to the tweed circuit. And in my opinion, that's the best sounding basement is that is mm-hmm. actually the 64, 65, 66 B. Mike's isn't that, but that's a way to start off and getting into more of where Mike's tone is. Uh, and then a lot of it was with, with Fred, I know it was a bunch of listening and swapping parts out to get it till they dialed it in. Mm-hmm. You know, and they had a kind of a pre-existing idea of where they were going. And I think it's, 
uh, it's different than the, the Zoom ones for for how it was done and how it, how it sounds. But I think they're both good for what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's I think a lot of people when they actually hear one because Billy Zoom, I don't think Fred does it for the general public, but I know Billy Zoom does what he calls the Ness mess, and he'll take any basement and modify it to Mike Ness's <laughs> specs. And most people get it and find that it does one thing really, really well, and that's it. Right, it does, it does Mike Ness. It does Mike Ness <laughs> as best as you can get it. If you can, you know, if you got a maple neck Les Paul with the right P90s in it, and you know, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and and you can play like that, you you know, and you're used to it, you can get pretty dang close. Right, you're not going to do a whole lot else with it. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And what, what is the, is it just because it has that interesting mid range character that he's kind of known for that yeah. just doesn't lend itself to other things very well? Is that the deal? I, I don't believe it even used his basement on the last record. On, oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. That is even more interesting. So we're talking mostly Adam on that last record. As far as I know, there were, th- there were two Adams used. There was, I know what Johnny had, and I don't know if Mike brought anything else to it or not. I know that mm-hmm. Mike, Mike was using one of Johnny's Adams. Johnny had an Adam. Johnny also had uh, an AC30 and a Tweed Twin. Okay. I got to know what was used on Bakersfield. If you ever get to pin him down, because that is my, like, I want that sound so bad. That specific song. When that thing comes in, it's just like, ah. Uh, so good. I I just love it. Even my wife, who doesn't care about guitar sound at all, I've talked about it so much. Every time she listens to that song, she's like, you know, you're right. There is something about that guitar tone on there, and she doesn't care. <laughs> so uh, There are certain songs that different people have done that are just these iconic sounds that just sound so, you just go, yeah, that. How do I mm-hmm. do that? And, uh, you know, there's... Uh, the first time I met Billy Gibbons, uh, the, my friend Ron from the Super Suckers, they were playing at the the uh, the Viper Room in uh, in Hollywood, and he said, "Come up early." Billy Gibbons is doing a photo shoot with some of his cars there. I'm like, "All right, I want to go meet Billy Gibbons. Oh, I've never nice. met him before." So uh, I get up there. I happen to be wearing a, a Gold Lion, which is a brand of tubes uh, T-shirt. When I get up there and, and Ron takes me over, like, oh, this is Billy Gibbons. I'm like, very nice to meet you. You know, I know you're very busy, but, you know, you love your stuff. You know, blah, blah. And he looks at my shirt. He's like, oh, those are great, too. And, and he's like, so, so Ron's like, oh, well, Adam makes amplifiers. I'm like, yeah, I, I do. I'm like, kind of like not really pushing my, I, I'm not really a great salesman at pushing myself. I've not, uh, I, I don't do that, like jump in somebody, some artist's face and be like, oh, play my stuff. You know, it, it's, right. uh, he's like, yo, so well, I got, I've got a question for you. I said, okay, what do you got? He's like, how do I nail the Bino tone? I'm like, uh, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> you get basically everything that you have and you know, we know what the Marshall is or what, it, all the variations that possibly could be. We know what the guitar could be with or without a treble booster. I mean, how close do you want to get it? And he's like, no, I want it to be perfect. I'm like, then you rip Clapton's arms and head off of him and mount it to your body somehow. <laughs> But there's also <laughs> the thing about recorded music that we forget so much is there's also a microphone. There was a compressor that, that, that we found out later that an engineer you know had built from a, a Capitol Records clone that he'd kind of modified. You know all the mixing, right. the mastering, all that stuff before it even gets to the record that you're going to listen to at your stereo or in your car or whatever. 
So, like, how exact do you want to get that tone? But yeah, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can get uh, stuff like that. I could figure out a way to totally make it work in one room as long as you didn't move anything. Right. It would, exactly. it would take it would take a long time to do it, but we can. You know, so you know, nailing the Bakersfield thing. Uh, I mean, I'll be more than happy to make the phone call and find out. And you know, as long as everybody remembers, and I'm sure that they do. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be hard to find out. Oh, I yeah, we got to we got to dig into this. This is this is like a dream come true for me. So, (laughs) hey, there you go. You know the steps thing we were talking about before. uh, You know they're one of my favorite bands, and you know the steps are not so far away as you would think. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, With with what we do, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to to um, designing an amplifier or a pedal or looking at something or doing any of this stuff there's usually some kind of tonal picture in our head that we're doing the same thing that he did when he went, when, when, you know, when you're saying, you know, want the Bakersfield tone, like, you know, to start trying to strive to get that. You know, I pretty much mm-hmm. know almost all the gear that could possibly have been in there. So I can get you 90% of the way, well, you know, yeah. with, with, you know, and with making sure of a couple of things of what it was, you, we can get you to be 90% of the time all the time. And sometimes you'll be there hundred percent depending on the room and whatever else. All right. Well, if you could see the giant stupid smile on my face right now, you would <laughs> you would know you're telling me exactly what I want to hear. So you say you're not a very good salesman, but I'm I'm I've done been sold. Right, right. But <laughs> when I say I'm not a good salesman, it, it, it's there are some people in this industry that will come out and be like, you know, they will meet a new artist, and be like, oh, this is Jeff Beck. Oh, hi, I make guitars. This is what I do. You should play my stuff. Not right. Hi, you're Jeff Beck. You're you know you're a phenomenal guitar player. It's wonderful to meet you. That's mm-hmm. how I am. I'm the the like the the wow. This is a, a moment of like yeah. We can talk gear. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about it. And usually the conversation will come up. But I'm just not that front. Uh, you know, there are some people that I'm not naming any names on this at all. There are some a couple people in this industry that are overly aggressive to the point of it makes it a bad rap for the rest of us when people come around. Right. I think I know what you mean. They're just too pushy. They're just too pushy and they're too much, they're they're too into their own stuff. uh, And they think that that theirs is the only way to do things. And, you know, when you talk about some of these people, you know, you know, I, I know two bags, there are people that will, you know, ship him guitars and he just ships them right back because if he didn't ask for them, he doesn't want to take them. He doesn't feel right. Right. And he doesn't want to just sell them or do anything like that because he doesn't feel right with that. He's, he plays what he plays and that's what it is. And that's what he likes the end you know and there's a lot of guys out there that are like that they don't want to do any endorsements they don't want to have uh you know any kind of baggage that relates to that mm-hmm. you know and there but there are some guys that that are you know that do that and like they're really aggressive about trying to get people to do their stuff so you know we're blessed with the amount of people that we get have playing our stuff uh you know one of the things that we've done pretty much since the get-go is that we don't give any gear away so everybody that's playing our stuff has a financial investment in it. They mm-hmm. want that, you know, and I find that with that, you know, they will tell people how good it is because of that, because they're invested and they love what they, they're, they're willing to spend their own money to get what we can offer them. Uh, right. You know, we're, we are a small company. There's only a couple of us in the shop. You know, I, I, I've mentioned in the past, I have a wife, I have three kids, you know, that we don't have, you know, billions of dollars, like, you know, say Fender or Marshall does where they can have, you know, a $2 million artist account that they just give $2 million worth of gear away. Uh, you know, and even if I ever get to the point where I have a spare $2 million that I could give gear away, I would probably give it 
away to up and coming artists rather than established artists that were well off. Right. Right. Cause they can, they, I mean, it sounds like a jerk thing to say, but they can afford it and they will buy stuff that they want because they can, uh, you uh, know, you know, I, I have, uh, some artists that, uh, you know, I have one guy that he's bought, I think nine amps from us in cabinets and he, you know, pretty much anytime anything comes out, he's always supporting us, always buying stuff. He's told us in the past, don't give him a discount. Don't, he doesn't need anything. He has plenty of money and, you know, and tries to encourage us to raise our prices on stuff. You know, I've also got people that have emailed me and said, you know, I'm, I've got 10 platinum records. I've got this, that, and the other thing, and you should give me six amplifiers for free. And I tell them exactly the same thing and say, no. You know, I have you, a, I had, yeah, I have a very serious aversion to that. So uh, I, I do too. And, you know, we have a policy where if somebody needs something, especially somebody that's never tried something like when Metallica, when their management called up and said, can we, you know, we're, we want to borrow some amplifiers. We knew they were being borrowed. We knew they were going to come back to us. There was no illusion that we were giving them these and they would end up on eBay. Right. You, you know, if somebody like if, if a professional musician needs one of our amps in a studio, we usually try and accommodate. We have a couple of loaners that can go out at any moment's notice that, you know, if, if you know, if, Eric Clapton needed an amplifier. Of course, I'm going to put one in a box and send it to whatever studio they needed at with a return label to ship it back whenever they're done. Mm-hmm. You know, and if Eric loves it, he can buy it. You know, he's, I'm, <laughs> he's, you know, you know, and you know, that, that actually happened. Uh, so to follow the lineage of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So Ron Heathman uh, from the Super Suckers is also uh, friends with this guy named Andrew McCaig, who is a friend of mine also, uh, mm-hmm. who is a, uh, plays in a band called the presidency of the united states so he's got right. uh he's got a couple of our amps and he's got uh we actually sold i think one of the, like one of the first 20 atoms we just had it uh because we updated his and put it all on a new chassis and instead of gutting the old one and putting it in we took the old one and put it up and, and sold it so some fan got it uh but he uh worked up in seattle and was friends with this guy named mike mccready who was in this band called pearl jam so we went. I was going to say, sounds familiar. So, so, so here's how this path all goes. The Super Suckers opened up for Pearl Jam. Social Distortion opened up for Pearl Jam. And Andrew is friends with Pearl Jam. So those three guys uh, were the, some of the three main uh, people that helped us get stuff out there, you know, purely by being awesome people. You mm-hmm. know, and, I, and, but, and that was, you know, Pearl Jam management called us up and said, you know, we're going to do the PJ 20 tour. We're going to go back out on the road. It's this big deal. Uh, we've been hearing about your stuff. Can you send us an amp or two? I said, sure. They said, this is what we want. Blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. Uh, if you want one fast, it's the, you're going to get whichever the color of the loaner is. And I said, that's great. No problem. So, you know, we boxed up an amp and sent it up to them. Uh, and didn't hear much for a couple of weeks. Uh, and we had to go do an amp show in Nashville. And I had met a gentleman by the name of Night Bob, who is works for this guy Walter Becker, who's in this band called Steely Dan. So uh, <laughs> we were at the Nashville Amp Expo uh, on Friday, just loading in and setting everything up. And I get this message from Night Bob. He's like, "Steely Dan, we're in town. Uh, sound checks at four o'clock. Bring an amp." And that's all I hear. So I'm like, "Okay." So like, yeah, that's 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 one of those things that you go over and you see. So we grabbed an amp, uh, went over and. Uh, they had just finished sound checking when we got there. I'm like, okay, no big deal. We missed that. But there's, you know, we're at least here. Let's go try and, you know, at least say hi to these people and tell them that they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Nightbub goes, you know, well, 
wait a few minutes. Uh, just wait a minute. I'm like, okay. And so we just kind of stand around and picking our butts for like 15 minutes. And then uh, Walter comes over, like, nice to meet you. Uh, is that the amp? I said, yeah. I said, okay, great. And so he got the entire band to come back out and sound check again. And he tried like eight different guitars. They played for about 20 minutes to me and two of my friends in this amphitheater in Nashville. As I'm sitting in the amphitheater, I get a text from Andrew that says, the satellite is on the Pearl Jam truck. Because uh, <laughs> they went out and did a couple of little short shows before they actually announced and did the big PJ-20 tour. I was like, okay, good. So that was my moment of getting uh, you know, Walter Becker on board and Mike McCready on board at the same time. <laughs> like it, it just a completely surreal, weird moment in time. I'm going, wow, this is just so bizarre. It is nuts. Uh, yeah. That would be a trip. Yeah. And, you know, and Walter is delightful. Night Bob is absolutely phenomenal. He is also in my top five, uh, top three, whatever techs in this world. You know, he, he's going to put out a book eventually that will be a must read for pretty much everybody. The guy is, is, you know, he started off with uh, doing stuff with Johnny Thunders and New York Dolls, and he was doing the Stooges. He did Aerosmith before they were famous, and then the very beginnings of Aerosmith and the full, like, you know, cocaine binges. Yeah, I mean, just like his his legacy of all the people that he's worked with are all the rock icons from, you know, basically from the New York Dolls on. You know, and he's still doing wow. it. He's still out there. And yeah, he's got wonderful stories and... Apparently, there's actually two books because one book is that that he is going to put out while he's alive. There's another book that will come out after he's dead, so no one can get mad at him. I'm assuming. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> like like the real tell-all book. Wow, that's intense. That's intense to think about. Yeah. Like his family's just going to put it out when he's gone, and I, a I, bunch of rock stars are going to be ticked off. Uh, I pretty much. I would assume it's going to be you know there's. You hear stories of stuff of, you know, especially back in the day of mostly drug-fueled binges of rock stars and things that they did and, you know, why did this tour collapse and why were they beating the crap out of each other? I'm assuming it's going to be stuff like that, but I have really have mm -hmm. no idea. The guy's got more interesting stories about musicians than anybody I know. I wonder, I wonder if, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day, this kind of, I don't know. There don't seem does not seem to be that kind of behavior as rampant anymore. No, no, was, no, no. You know what I mean? And I don't know why that is. It's not like musicians have gotten any. Oh, it's I easy. don't know. It's too easy to see. It completely destroys. Oh, that's the, true. Yeah, the the internet, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, all of that stuff has destroyed any sense of privacy that anybody ever had. So you know, you know, nobody's wants to go out broadcasting, you know, how many people they're sleeping with, what kind of drugs they're doing, because it just was just would destroy their public personas and they would lose all their, you know, funding from their record companies because it's bad business. Right. So yeah. it's almost like the internet has forced rock stars to behave uh, a little it, bit. It's at least made them to be more private. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you, if you look at, you know, uh, you know, just random celebrities of like, you know, Miley Cyrus is a great example of, of, I'm not, uh, don't listen to her music. I really honestly could, I don't even know if I could name a single song of hers. I'm not picking on her for any other reason other than that she's a famous person. You know, mm -hmm. but you know, you hear little glimpses occasionally of like the debauchery in her, in her life. Uh, but we're only getting a really, 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 really small glimpse of what it may even be. Right. 
it's very filtered and processed and probably purposely put out there to some degree. Most likely uh, it is. Yeah. You know, um, but you, you know, you, you see these people and you know, it's, it, it's hard for, you know, someone like myself and I'm assuming you, I, I, I'm, if you're a billionaire, wonderful, congratulations. But most people <laughs> don't have the kind of money that some of these famous musicians have. You know, imagine if you never had to worry about buying anything or doing anything. You know, that's right. going to get, you're, you're going to have a wonderful time for a while, but eventually you're going to get bored. And you're going to start looking at other mm-hmm. ways to try and keep yourself entertained. And so a lot of them turn to dope or they turn to women or men or whatever it is that they're into. And, you know, it's, you know, we, uh, and we have these cameras all pointed at them all the time. So you see these, you know, it's, it's horrendous that they do that to other people, but it's not that surprising to me when people do bad things. Right. In those positions. Right. Cause they've, it's like they've, uh, they've done everything already. Well, what's next? Yeah. What's the, right. what other things can we do? Cause we've done everything else. Uh, right. yeah, that, that's an interesting take on it for sure. And then, you know, some of them do get sober. They get, you know, they clean up their lives or they at least slow down a little bit. And, you know, that's, uh, they, Kind of calm down is the right way, but maybe they control things a little bit better. Right. You know, I, 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 I don't, you know, Keith Richards, you know, the guy's, you know, legendary. I don't know how many jokes have been made about how much, you know, dope he's had and how many other people's blood he's had put into his veins. So he doesn't have like, they recycle his blood and all that stuff. Right. You know, I think he's early seventies. now. Something like that. You know? I mean, he looks like he's, he's 97, not- but Yeah. <laughs> Right, but he's probably not doing the same amount of blow that he used to or any of the other stuff, and he probably still drinks a little bit, but I don't think he parties the way that he did. No, I read a thing the other day. He had, to quit, he had to quit cocaine a couple of years ago because he fell out of a, he fell out of a tree and hurt himself, right, and he said, ah, you know what, maybe I better settle down with the blow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it takes too long for him to, to, to feel better. Right, right at yeah. like 68 years old or something. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, okay, now's the time to settle yeah. down. Uh, <laughs> he, but he, he's in one of those bands that, you know, they've made so much money. Uh, like he's, there's no way for him to spend it all. Right. He, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, there's another one. He's done everything. So yeah. uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting, we've really went somewhere else with this conversation, but it's, it's, it's interesting to think about that kind of stuff sometimes. Uh, I don't remember if I warned you of this or not, but I have a tendency to kind of, if somebody gives me an opportunity to talk, I can, the conversations go all over the place. I, I'm not, uh, I don't mean to, it just happens. So if you need to refocus. Well, you, sir, back you, sir, topic, are right? on the right no, podcast for that. Let me tell yeah. you, you, you're talking to the right guy for going off topic. That is what we do uh, best here. Well, good. Yeah. So to refocus, let's see how much time do we got? Well, I think if we refocus now, it'll just be, it'll be too late. We won't get, be able to get fully explore <laughs> the rest of, uh, the rest of what we need to explore. So what would probably, we're probably going to have to have you come back on because we didn't get to any of the, uh, the normal questions, but I do have, <laughs> do, you have, do, you have do you have like a list of actually questions that's sitting there for if, in my brain ask or anything in my oh, okay, in my okay. brain there's okay. there's one okay. big one you know that I normally ask in the beginning and then we kind of shoot off from there but we were already we were already rolling pretty solid so I didn't want to interrupt uh, okay so we'll just have you come back on again to to explore that but what we can talk about now that won't that won't take up too much time I don't think is you told me you were working on some pedals earlier and you've been kind of doing a little more 
pedals, which is right up my alley. We, we have. Uh, we, we've, we've, I've done a couple of pedals over the years, and usually it's just been exercises and entertainment, and we'd be like, oh, all right, let's just do this kind of for fun. Uh, so we about we had put out something called the My Pal Fuzz Fuzz, which was a uh, a fuzz pedal that, that I really liked, and and we had made, and we made a really small batch of them, just kind of as a as a feeler to see if we even wanted to get into this industry because it, it is building pedals is different than building amplifiers, mm-hmm. uh, and that went really well. Uh, of which the My Pal Fuzz Fuzz name is a reference to an old Shag song called My Pal Foot Foot, which uh, the Shags are one of the most oddly interesting bands in existence uh, i don't know if you're familiar with them i'm not um, most people when the, okay so uh side topic of the shag <laughs> uh frank zappa thought they were one of the best bands of all time so did kurt cobain it, 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 and when you listen to them the first time you're probably gonna go what the hell were these people talking about this is awful mm-hmm but then as you listen to it, you realize that you have three musicians that are playing together in a way that you'll never be able to play. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the magical things about this, that, this band. And it was three, sometimes four sisters. It was done in like 1969. Wait a second. Uh, no, this is all coming back to me now. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. And then one of their songs is called My Pal Foot Foot. Mm-hmm. So we put out My Pal Fuzz Fuzz. Yes. Okay. So, uh, all right. I'm as with you happens now. in this shop, it's we go off on these weird kind of tangents and things, and things get named for very odd reasons. Uh, so we did that, and then uh, we I started playing around with doing a distortion pedal, and uh, there was a there's an old pedal called the Blue Clipper that was done by uh, Dan Armstrong. Right, right. Uh, I almost bought one of those the other day, Devin or something. Like that. Yeah. Oh, they're phenomenal. They're great. Uh, they're weird in how they plug into your stuff, but they're 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 fun units. Mm-hmm. Everything that they, that they did back then was all great. Uh, but so we kind of took that and, and completely tweaked it and, and turned it around. But that was where the inspiration came from. So that's why we, we called it the Black Clipper. We made a, a, a distortion pedal. Uh, and it's really good. I, I'm extremely happy with it. All the feedback we've gotten is that it's one of the best distortion pedals people have ever heard. Uh, you know, and that's from session guys that are, you know, pedal freaks about all of it. So mm-hmm. we did that. and. You know, one of the things that I've always kind of tried to do is we, we have a thing about how our stuff looks. Uh, and I'm very controlling about, uh, you know, I, I have a look that I want everything to follow. Uh, you know, we, we, we want everything to be in the same family. We want Satellite as a brand to be what we are. Right. So uh, there was a pedal that I had done. Uh, here's another slight aside into how all this came about. Uh, there's a guy named Brad Davis who's a bass player in a band called Fu Manchu who mm-hmm. also does creepy finger effects. So Brad, early on, he was he would come down and hang out, and, and uh, I love Brad. I think he does a wonderful job. But when he was starting out doing it, he was getting some. We would help him out a little bit here and there, and you know, text messages and emails and stuff. Uh, and he called me up one day. He said, "Listen, I've got a, most of his amps were not normal amplifiers. Not that they were like he had like a Laney clip. He had like a." He didn't have anything that was like a Marshall or a Fender that would have a standard kind of generic preamp to it. Right. So he said, can you build me like a little preamp that I can use so I can know what all this will sound with other people's gear? I said, sure. So I made a tube pedal, and because of the way that I am, we maxed out the gain as much as possible. <laughs> it is so over the top. It's, it's hilarious. Gave it to him. He thought it was hilarious also. And he's like, yeah, this is really funny, but there's no way I could ever 
I can't use I can't use this, but this sounds too good by itself. You don't need the pedals. Like, yeah, all right. So we dealt with all that. But a couple guys realized from having one around the shop that it was great for fly-in gigs because they could have a really good tube preamp and plug into any amplifier as a backline and not have to worry about carrying their gear. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's all right. So that's how the Eradicator was originally born. Uh, but we were doing it on little Hammond rectangles, just like you know most pedals are made these days. And we're doing them all by ourselves here in the shop, which was fine, but it's very labor-intensive. Uh, and I've always wanted to, to redo that and do it properly, without a transformer, without uh, you know, without the tube on top. So earlier this year, we actually redesigned it, uh, got it to run off a 9-volt wall wart, uh, and stuffed everything underneath an enclosure and are having our own custom enclosures made. And when we did that, uh, you know, the way manufacturing works is the more you can order on metalwork, the cheaper it gets. So I said, all right, well, if we're going to do this, let's actually see if we can come up with a line. And we sat down, myself and Tommy, uh, who's my right-hand guy here at the shop, sat down and kind of went, all right, well, what kind of pedals can we come come up with? Do we actually have uh, enough things that we want to do where we can come up with a pedal line? And we found out that we have a lot more than we thought we did. So, uh, in fact, the... We will have at least six pedals out by NAM. We are doing NAM in January. Uh, we should have three of them out and shipping by beginning of October. So the Eradicator is out. Is we're just waiting for the, them to come back from powder coating. They get assembled and they will start shipping. We've already we've been taking pre-orders on them. Uh, there's one called the Fog Cutter, which is going to come out. Um, we have a couple tricks up our sleeve, also. Uh, you know. Uh, trying to see if I'm there's going to be something at NAM that is going to blow it, it's it's going to be one of the greatest pedals I think we've ever done okay <laughs> it's one of it's one of those things that like I'm not quite ready to announce it yet because I know that as soon as I do people are going to start emailing me on it and when is it going to be ready and it's not going to be ready until probably December but we will we will have that one uh, is this what January. we were talking about earlier or is this something know. else? I'm trying to not give away something that's really, really good. I just want to know if I'm in the know already. <laughs> that's all I need. I don't think you are, because as far as I know right now, there are six people that know this. Hmm. Blast. Another another thing. <laughs> Last, I Apparently had... you have to come back to Nam again. Oh, I am. I am. I'm going to be oh, there. Well, then... But now I got to wait for however many months and just go, what is Adam got up? What's Adam doing? What's, o- what's over there? <sighs> You know, Joel maybe from Chase we'll, Bliss we'll... did the same thing to me on a, on an episode just two episodes ago or so. He was like, oh, I just had this great idea and I've been working on it. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you how excited I am about this idea. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And he's like, I can't tell you. I'm like, oh, this eats my insides. Ah, the gearhead in me hurts right now. But, you know. Yeah, we, we're, well, I'll tell you this much. We are going to have a weird... Um... There's a, a, one of the pedals is going to be a, like a ring mod Ottawa trim okay. uh, freakish thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got uh, a, a, a really oddball take on like the blue box mm-hmm. uh, octave fuzz synthy sound. Uh, yeah, we're going to try and get a couple of traditional ish, our take on some traditional designs, which is, you know, uh, you know, the, the same as like why we did a fuzz pedal and the, the, the black clipper distortion because there are people that want those things. Uh, the Eradicator, though, is uh, I think we're at something like 60 dB a gain. 
you know, I mean, and it runs off a wall. Where, oh yeah, it's it's over the top, insane what this pedal can do. Uh, and they'll, they, we're going to have uh, uh, some nice demo things. Uh, I can say that we are uh, having some guitars made. That's going to be one of the NAM oh, specials. Oh what? Yeah, who's so making we, them? Uh, uh, we have a gentleman in Canada that makes Les Paul bursts, and we are, he's doing the wood, actually, well, he did the woodwork, it's done, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a gentleman named Josh over at Protocaster who's doing all of the finishing, and then they come here for any final stuff, and uh, I have a TV yellow coronet coming to me, so we're making coronets, basically. Oh, that's so uh, cool. And I've always wanted a TV yellow one, so I've got a... I get I get number one and it's TV yellow. Number two is is cherry and so we're going to redo that and we're going to re- they're the uh, three and three with the symmetrical bodies, mm-hmm. not the not not the batwing stuff. Uh, and it's I'm just really excited about that. So that's one of the secrets that that, that is is I've hinted at a little bit at, on Instagram of like people. Uh, there was a picture I put up of you know me having having to measure some stuff and taking my pit guard off on my coronet. Yeah, it, I remember had to, that. Had to do, had, had to do with measuring how far the pickup and the bridge was away from the end of the neck. I see. I see. Because we're, 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 we're I have a 61 coronet. Uh, I'm actually staring at it right now. Uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, one of those, uh, one of my guitars is just like, this thing is awesome. Uh, in fact, I have, a, I have a little story about that guitar. Uh, there was another guy that used to work here and he had a 65 coronet, which was the bat wing with a really skinny neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of cool, but it wasn't that great. Uh, and then a friend of mine out at a place called BCR music in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, uh, a guy named Greg Platzer. Uh, he carries our stuff. Uh, he called me up. I'd seen that he had a coronet on online and it was this, this 1961. It was a three and three. The, the three and three means three, Tuners on each headstock instead of six in a line, just in case anybody has any question of what I'm talking about here. Right, right. Uh, the earlier ones had three and threes. The later ones have six in line, and it's a batwing-looking headstock. Uh, and he had one for sale, and, and I was like, oh, I really kind of want that. And uh, and I actually offered it to the guy that had the 65. I'm like, you know, you can sell that one and buy this one. He's like, yeah, I don't really feel like it. All right. And I told Greg, thanks very much. And then about a week later, he's like, oh, yeah, that amp sold. And I'm like, what amp? Oh, yeah, this... this one of your Hellion amps was here and it was sold. I'm like, did? I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't have it in inventory. It didn't like, I have no idea how, like how it got lost in the, the, the scratch of things. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so what do you want for that coronet? Like, uh, whatever we got off the Hellion. I said, okay, that's lovely. And so <laughs> the coronet and it's, and it literally, it showed up in a box. I had it for 20 minutes and Andrew McCaig from the president of the United States happened to be in town and walked in the door and was playing with another band and said, uh, can I use this? Like, I get the guitar for 20 minutes. Like, yeah. All right. So he took it and I got a call later of like, all right, what do you want for it? <laughs> no, I'm not selling the guitar. No. And somebody even tried, and someone tried to buy it off of him on the stage. It's one of these weird guitars that for some reason, everybody keeps trying to buy it. Uh, and so we've realized that it's just a great guitar. So we copied it. There you go. You know, and it's something that, and it's something that nobody really offers out this guitar at all. So, uh, and we're going to see where this goes and if it goes well, we, we might turn this into something. And if it doesn't, then I'm just going to end up with a TV yellow coronet and a, a couple of other ones that, uh, most of the, most of the first run are actually already spoken for. 
uh, there's enough people that are in the know that uh, are excited to get them. So Andrew's one of those people also. So he can finally have his own and stop trying to get mine off. <laughs> oh, that's, that's very cool. Very cool. Well, we are getting down to the last few. And so I do have a couple more questions for you. One of them, I just, I try to ask this on every episode. Sometimes I fail and I forget, but lately I've been on a pretty good roll. So I want to keep this going. And it's a, what kind of pizza do you like? Ah, okay. So there's basically three pizzas that I I would prefer if I'm, if we're making choices here. One Mm -hmm. is a place called Colony Pizza. It's in Connecticut. They do this thing called a hot oil pizza where they basically fry jalapenos and they drizzle the jalapeno oil over the top of the pizza and it's absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. The bad thing is that as you eat it, you just want to keep eating more of it. Yes. You never really feel like you're done. So you eat like an entire pizza yourself. Uh, the other is there's a place here in town called uh, Bronx Pizza. It's a New York style, buy the slice. They don't deliver. They take cash only. They yell at you. They're mean to you. <laughs> but they make phenomenal stuff. Uh, and then the other one is there's another place like that called Luigi's, which is kind of a nicer version of that. And they get into very uh, creative pizzas, but creative in a good way, not like California pizza kitchen way, which is probably my least favorite kind of pizza. So I would have to say I'm like a New York style, thin crust, you know, piping hot, fold it in half, have a lovely time as you're walking around eating. All right. Kind of you can't, can't go wrong with that. I like that. Yeah. Perfect. And then the the last thing is, uh, oh, this is gonna this is gonna slide perfectly into the slot here. Uh, where can everyone find you on the interwebs or in real life, if you want to plug that? And uh, <laughs> is there any other things that you want to say to close the episode out? Um. Uh, well, the 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 short of where we are is that that you can find us at satelliteamps.com, s a t e l l i t e a m p s dot com. Uh, or on Instagram.com slash Satellite Amps, Facebook.com slash Satellite Amps, Twitter.com slash Satellite Amps. You can email me at Satellite Amps at AOL. You can call us at 619-275-2255, but we don't answer the phone that often. In fact, uh, well, we answer the phone when we're here, but like our answer machine is almost always full, and it's you know, we go through it, and then it just gets filled up the next day again, and so... We do have people that complain about that. So if you do call us, just keep calling if you don't feel like leaving a message. Um, but email is almost always best. Uh, there's a contact form on the website. Uh, you can come to our shop at 1322 Gertrude Street, San Diego, California, 92110. You can send us pizzas. You can send us <laughs> gifts. Um, you know, if you think that your pizza is better, we are always willing to accept people offering us you know, pizza anytime, pretty much. Right. Pizza is universal. We actually, we, we, yeah, we actually did that. Uh, uh, Paul Roney of Roney Guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his birthday, and a bunch of us missed it because Paul took his birthday notification down off of Facebook, and that's how most of us find out about each other's birthdays. Right. So, uh, you know, about a week late, we we realized it, and we sent him a, a. They had a pizza party up at the Cower Roney facilities on us, like because who doesn't love free pizza? I don't terrorists maybe That's <laughs> yeah. terrorists communists you know <laughs> people that oppose the the american the american way of life <laughs> we just don't abide by that yes. <laughs> you know and uh i had a lovely time chatting and you know anytime you want me back let me know and uh yeah we're gonna have to get you back on and dig into some things that that we missed but it was still an excellent chat so thank you very much yeah. for coming on 
Well, thank you very much. I had a lovely time. All right. And then we're going to have to talk off the air about uh, finding this Bakersfield town. <laughs> we will talk about that and among other things. So that would be fine. So now are we just done? <laughs> well, I have a little thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that to be rude to get off the phone. It's for, for anybody that doesn't understand. It's because of the recording process. I'm making sure that we're doing things properly because I, I'm <laughs> well, not a as very technologically set, savvy as you are. There is a very set set of rules here, my my sir, and you've just, you've just violated them. I'm just going to have to take this episode down. Uh, yeah. That third wall, I just broke right through and screwed everything up. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and I think that's as good a note to wrap up on as anything. So, for Adam, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. I cannot even tell you how glad I am that that chat finally happened. Adam did indeed send out some feelers and I now have the key to... Well, short of having Mike Ness's hands, I have the gear keys to acquiring the Bakersfield tone that you guys have heard me talk about on this episode and probably in other places because I'm obsessed with that sound. So now I know and I'm super jazzed and I'm saving my pennies. The GoFundMe links in the in the show notes. Just okay. I'm just kidding. It's not. But. Anyway, I'm glad you guys tuned in. Thank you very much. I know there's lots of other shows you could be choosing to listen to right now, but you're listening to mine, and that means the world to me. So thank you very much. Don't forget to head on over to ToneMob.com and join the mob. Hit the Join the Mob tab. That'll get you on the mailing list. I'm currently deep in probably the biggest thing I've been involved in in the gear world to date, and probably one of the biggest, coolest craziest things that I've seen done in quite some time. So so join the mob, you'll be the first to know. And until next time, folks, stay safe and rock on. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. 
I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.